Check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's go time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a Tuesday. Still feeling, uh, you know, controversial about uh, what happened to Florida State. I, st- I still feel pretty strong about that. And I thought it was interesting. We'll get to this in a little bit. Uh, there was an article that came out. I'm trying to remember. I think it was The Athletic that talked about the trickle-down effect of what happened when Florida State didn't get in because if you read some of the stories that were out there, well, the ACC basically put names in a hat trying to decide which teams were going to go to which bowls. We'll tell you about that in a little bit. I'm actually, I, I just pulled the article up now. It's an it's a, uh, article from The Athletic. And it does not paint Jim Phillips in a great light. And um, we'll tell you about that in a little bit. Mike Barber, the Times Dispatch, will join us at 3.30. We're going to talk about everything. Uh, we'll talk tech football, uh, uh, his thoughts on the matchup, early thoughts, of course. Uh, get his thoughts on the transfer portal with regards to tech. We'll get his thoughts on the transfer portal for UVA. We'll get his thoughts on both UVA and tech basketball, maybe some other stuff. We'll, we'll get his early thoughts on the Dudley Award. We didn't really talk about it yesterday, uh, but the Dudley Award is basically between um, Malik Washington and Caden Salter and Jalen Green. Those are the three guys who are currently vying for the Dudley Award. Uh, to me, my my simple thing is it should go to uh, Caden Salter. I, I was very disappointed yesterday reading about all the people who had Heisman votes. Um, I'm not sure who gives out the Heisman votes and who decides that sort of thing, but like, if there was ever a person who should be voting for the Heisman, it should be me who watches the Pac-12 games at night on the East Coast, who knows a lot about the group of five. I'll tell you this. If I had a Heisman vote, I probably would vote for Michael Penix. Because I think I... I, Look, Heisman Award obviously goes to the best statistics, the best player in college football. But for me, it would probably also have to include winning. And obviously, Jaden Daniels didn't win. You know, his team wasn't playing in championship weekend. Jane Daniels is probably going to be your winner because his statistics are the best. And because I'm guessing a lot of people, when they vote for the Heisman, they're voting for the best player. But I would go Michael Penix, Jane Daniels. And then guess what? Like, obviously, it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things. But I think my third place vote, and I don't know how many you vote for in the Heisman, my third place vote would go to Caden Salter of, of Liberty. Um, 31 touchdowns, five interceptions, 12 rushing touchdowns for an undefeated college football team. I mean, that's pretty good. He's not going to win, and it wouldn't matter that much. But here's the funny thing. If you look, and I'm looking to see right now, Caden Salter is... Uh, where are you? I'm not very, I'm, uh, he's 40th in terms of passing yards. But like, if you look at touchdown passes and stuff like that, like he's up there. He's, he's tied for sixth in the country 
for the most passing touchdowns. And he's got five interceptions, which Jaden Daniels only has four and Bo Nix has three. I, I, I would give my third place vote to, to Kane Salter. Or, because I also, you know how much I love JMU, I'd probably look at Jaden uh, Jordan McLeod's numbers. Jordan McLeod threw for 3,413 yards, 32 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He doesn't have as much of the rushing component as the, the other guys do. But he still ran for eight touchdowns. I just think I should be a Heisman voter. I think people are afraid. I would have considered Jalen Green getting a you know a third place vote or a fourth place vote if he had stayed healthy. He was the nation's sack leader when he got hurt, and sometimes the defensive players just don't get enough love for what they do. Jamie's defense is ridiculous, and he's the leader of the defense, or at least one of the studs on that defense. Um, so yeah, but I kind of went off track there because we talked about the Dudley. That 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 would be where I would go on the Heisman. I would give the Heisman to Michael Penix. It's gonna go to Jane Daniels. Obviously, we can't vote for it. Uh, we can't bet on it here. So yeah. Um, so we'll have Mike Barber on at three thirty. The transfer portal today, like there really hasn't been that many large names uh, with regards to this area. We had a couple of guys from Virginia. Enter the transfer portal. Jonathan Horton, a linebacker. Running back Cody Brown. Uh, Langston Long. And Devin Clark. Willie Simpkins the third. So, oh, there is safe, two safeties in a corner there. So Virginia has had two, four, six, eight, ten guys enter the transfer portal. But none of them are exactly, I think, earth-shattering when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, we saw yesterday that Marlon Lewis, the defensive lineman for the Spiders, entered. John Pius of William & Mary has entered the transfer portal. Also from Virginia Tech, Daquan Wright, the tight end. Tech has four guys who have entered the transfer portal. Once again, not exactly earth-shattering when it comes to that sort of thing. And let me look real quick as we as we continue to talk about this. Any JMU guys today? No, nobody today from JMU. Um but we'll certainly keep track of all that stuff when it comes to the transfer portal because there are a lot. And there's some guys who are already... So um, Pete Thamel has already said that Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback, it looks like he's going to go to Notre Dame. And um, Dylan Gabriel's visiting Oregon. And DJ Uyagalele is looking at Florida State and Louisville so far. So that's some of the stuff about the the quarterback portal. Oh, this is interesting. Pete Thamel tweeted four minutes ago, New Mexico is targeting Bronco Mendenhall as the new head coach. Bronco Mendenhall, you may remember, felt like he kind of just fell out of love with coaching and, and left Virginia. And now he's going to go to New Mexico, which is a mess. That's interesting. So we'll keep our we'll keep track of that too. Bronco Mendenhall could be the next head coach of New Mexico. Uh, 327-0888, that is the phone number. That is the text line for the show. 804 is the area code. If you ever want to comment on anything we talked about yesterday, anything we talk about today, anything in the future, uh, certainly we could talk about it. Um, you know, if you have any questions on any of the bowl games, we could certainly go over that. I have not placed any wagers yet on any bowl games. As I said yesterday, I'm a waiter. I wait for the lines to move. I wait for the most amount of information and see what I can see what I can get out there. All right, so the other large story for today that made the rounds is something that has widespread implications to the NCAA. NCAA President Charlie Baker proposed rule changes today that would allow 
D1 schools for the first time to pay their athletes in ways that are not tied to educational resources. So basically, it's like supercharged NIL on steroids. And, you know, this is one of those things where you have to kind of read the articles and stuff like that. But there's a chance that what this may do is officially kind of separate the Power Five from the Group of Five. Like, this might be the thing, and we've all kind of talked about it in the hushed tones around each other. Like, hey, you know, maybe we should break away from the NCAA. This proposal would certainly do that because it would be the creation of a new subdivision that would only have schools that were able to compensate athletes through NIL stuff, and we're talking about trust funds. Baker shared the proposed changes in a letter sent to member schools. If Division I schools choose to adopt the rules, they would be allowed to enter NIL deals directly with their athletes. The new rules would also create a new subdivision of Division I schools that would be allowed to create their own set of rules for recruiting, transfers, roster size, and a wide range of other policies. To be a part of that subdivision, each school would have to put up millions of dollars each year into a trust fund. And so basically, what this proposal would do would essentially take the Power Five and separate it from the Group of Five. That's what it seems like. Now, this thing still has to get voted on, still has to get discussed. There is no timeline for anything. Um, the ESPN story says the process of changing major NCAA rules take, takes more than a year. And NCAA schools would have to vote on it. Those stakeholders meet in January in Phoenix at the annual convention. Baker said in the letter that these new rules would help provide a model to show Congress in the NCAA's ongoing quest for new federal laws to help in governing college sports. I mean, here's the thing that's going to happen. There's going to be Power 5 schools who can't afford to do this. There's going to be Power 5 schools who will not be able to keep their Power 5 status because they're not going to be able to do this. And so what we're going to happen have happen is you're going to have an FBS, you'll have the FCS still below, and then you'll have like an FBS 2. And I don't know what would happen then in terms of bowl games, scheduling, would the FBS only play the FBS? Would the FBS 2 play the FBS 2? Like, I don't know any of that stuff. And once again, it's one of these things where the NCAA in the past, they always throw things out there and see if it sticks to the wall. They never actually have, like, the complete plan. They always just... That's why I thought when the NIL rollout came, that the that was a great idea. I've always said I think the, these athletes should be paid. But the NCAA kind of just threw it out there and then said, all right, you guys deal with it. They didn't lay out the proper standings, and then you've got people like the guy down in Miami who's just willy-nilly paying people. This is another one of these pitches, and maybe Charlie Baker is different than Mark Emmert. Maybe Charlie Baker is going to sit here and he's going to lay all this stuff out and is going to make it sound intelligent and people will buy in. I don't have that trust and faith. I think we're heading towards another situation where the NCAA throws things out here and then they're, that it's incomplete and we don't have all the answers and they're either going to just do it anyway or it's just going to be another one of these failed suggestions the NCAA has. 
which they have a ton of them. Like there, if you took the amount of failed things the NCAA has put together, it would be the size of this room that I'm sitting in right now. The subdivision would include, you'd have to invest at least $30,000 per year into an enhanced educational trust fund for at least half of the institution's eligible student-athletes. And you would have to work with the other schools to make rules for the people in this subdivision. I mean, we'll see. There should be a there should be a salary cap. There should be all sorts of things, but I I I will get worried if this thing starts passing or if this thing gets a lot of legs. Obviously, it's a headline because everybody's like, "Ooh, ah, this is gonna be amazing." I'm gonna get worried if it actually starts going somewhere. I don't think this is going anywhere. But we'll see. Obviously, if the SEC likes it, then we'll then it'll go somewhere. Three two seven zero eight eight eight. That is the phone number. That is the text line. Eight zero four is the area code. But go to your favorite website, whether it's CBS Sports, whether it's the Athletic, whatever it is. Go read up on all these things that Charlie Baker is proposing. But he's if if this goes through, there will essentially be two FBSs. There'll be the Group of Five and the Power Five. And I know some of the Group of Five already feels that way, but it's pretty crazy. So certainly check that out if you get the chance, because um, if this passes, things are certainly going to change with regards to college athletics. And I'm not ready to sit here and say, oh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. Because if you put all the all this, the like-minded schools together in two different levels, that could make the product better. That could make the product better. I'm going to choose to think that maybe if this happens, things will be better. But we'll see what happens, because usually the NCAA is not great with these harebrained schemes that they have. Uh, let's take a timeout. Coming up, the uh, exclusion of Florida State caused all sorts of problems for the ACC in how they wanted to place everybody else with regards to the bowls. We'll tell you a little bit about the athletic article that broke down how bad they messed things up and how they pretty much held up a lot of stuff with regards to the uh, bowl announcements. We'll tell you about that next. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. The NFL season is in full swing and we don't want anyone to forget. We have NFL coverage every Sunday afternoon as well as every Dallas Cowboys broadcast here on your home for sports in the River City. 106.1 ESPN Richmond. Give the gift of delivery. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. Uh, Mike Barber, the Times Dispatch, will join us. Uh, not this segment, next segment. About 10 minutes from now, we'll talk Hokies, Who's, and all that good stuff with Mike of the Times Dispatch. All right. So if you were paying attention a little bit on, I guess it was Saturday, no, Sunday, when the college football playoff show came out and they started announcing all the ball games, you would notice that uh, Brad McMurphy, who was tweeting them all out based off of sources, quote unquote, uh, you would notice that there were some of the bowl games that came out and said so-and-so would be playing an ACC team. And there were stories that came out about how the ACC was kind of holding things out. Well, there was an article on The Athletic posted today, and it talks about how they were so set up with basically putting Florida State in the in the playoff and Louisville in the Orange Bowl, and they had everything kind of set up down the line. 
You know, there's not too many rules that they follow. There's only one that tries to, they try to re- avoid repeat visits and regular season rematches. So they had all things set up with Florida State making the playoff. Well, obviously, when Florida State doesn't make the playoff, that kind of pushes things all over the place. So the ACC obviously has Florida State in the Orange Bowl against Georgia. So now what happens to Louisville and everybody and everything else? So basically, the premium tier of the ACC is the Gator Bowl, the Hawaii Bowl, the Pop-Tarts Bowl, which was the Cheez-It Bowl. And so what they were trying to do is put NC State, Clemson, North Carolina in those three. Um, That's what they were originally trying to do. That also had Louisville and Notre Dame. For one thing, they said, at 245, they found out conference rules and tiebreakers stipulated that Louisville and NC State, by virtue of its head-to-head wins over Clemson and North Carolina, had to be two of the three teams that went to those three bowls. As for Notre Dame, an official with one of the bowls involved said his bowl was told point-blank that Irish were not available. An ACC official said Notre Dame was eligible for selection, but under the current selection guidelines, their selection was not guaranteed. So then what happened? Well... They were going to put NC State in San Diego, but they were there in 2021. Clemson was in Orlando in 2021. Then the Gator Bowl had Kentucky, so you can't have Louisville there. The Pop-Tarts Bowl had somebody else, so they had to kind of move things about. Then there was the next tier bowls, the Mayo Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, the Sun Bowl. The people at the Sun Bowl were texted and said, you can have UNC, Miami, or Notre Dame. I mean, of course, they picked Notre Dame. The bowl game sold out within 24 hours. After the pinstripe bowl landed in Miami and North Carolina got the home state Mayo Bowl, most of the other dominoes fell to ESPN events. Here's the funny thing, and I'm trying to find there's one more piece of information. Unsurprisingly, all three bowls submitted the Irish as their top choice. Per the ACC official, the league then followed its prescribed process leading to its attorney writing each of the bowl's names, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, and the Sun Bowl, on a piece of paper and drawing it out of a hat. This is a Power 5 conference that was deciding bowl games by writing pieces of paper on a hat and dropping them in a hat. And that's how the Sun Bowl got them. It's insane. The quote is, he twirled them around, he twirled them around, and Michael Strickland read the name Sun Bowl. Olivas then went to announce it to the party. Only one problem. No one had thought to include Notre Dame among the row of helmets that were displayed on the table in front of him. It didn't matter because they had like some Tony the Tiger bowl game um, party. I mean, obviously, they were thrilled. You get a a group like Notre Dame, that's going to help ticket sales a lot. But this is the funny part. Like, they used three bowls and they threw them in a hat. The ACC... Group uh, Power Five Conference. Insane. Insane. And this is all because, once again, Florida State didn't get the spot they rightfully deserve. You're not going to get me off of this. You're just not. Florida State belongs in the playoff. They do. You can't tell me that a Power Five Conference that went undefeated, and I know the strength of schedule is not good enough, and I know that Jordan Travis is not there, and I know there's all these other things that you could say, but they went undefeated. And they beat two good teams without their quarterbacks. I think people kind of see it. And obviously, I'm not a Florida State fan. I don't really care about Florida State. But 
I don't think people understand. You give any coach that's potentially in the playoffs a month to get ready, they'll have a game plan ready. They'll be ready for the game. It's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. I just, I don't know. Mike Norvell's a really good coach. And if they are focused, if they are focused, they can hang in there with with Georgia. Because I think there's a chance Georgia's not going to be focused. You know, I think there's a chance that Georgia's not going to be very interested to play a Florida State team that they think could be not very interested, which means they could potentially sleepwalk. We'll see what happens with, with Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkey and some of the other stars who may have NFL draft aspirations. Will they play in this game? It could be a terrible game. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I'm still frustrated by it. I think we all kind of realized the SEC is running college football. That's all. The SEC is running college football. The committee was too scared to have a month's worth of time where they had to uh, answer questions as to why the SEC, the preeminent conference in college football, didn't make the college football playoff. So they said, okay, well, we can't leave Texas out because Texas beat Alabama. So if we put Alabama in and we don't have Texas in, people will rightfully roast us. So what would be easier? Let's just leave out Florida State. People will be mad, but that's all right. We can get over it. So I'm not going to get over it. And hopefully... Florida State stays. Hopefully, Florida State doesn't um, leave the conference and comb over that grant of rights and find a loophole and get out. And hopefully, this doesn't lead to the eventual destruction of the ACC, all because the committee was too afraid to tell Greg Sankey and, and Nick Saban that they couldn't make it. But that's way down the line. Way down the line. Uh, 3270888, that is the phone number, that is the text line, 804 is the area code. Let's take a timeout. Mike Barber, Times Dispatch, will join us. We'll talk Hokies, we'll talk Who's, we'll get his thoughts on uh, the Florida State situation. All that good stuff ahead. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Let's get social. Follow us on X and Instagram at ESPN Richmond. And find us on Facebook by searching ESPN Richmond. Don't miss a thing from your home for sports in Richmond. 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. Uh, got a lot to get into. We'll talk Hokies. We'll talk Who's. We'll talk ACC with our next guest. Uh, you can check him out on the Times Dispatch, Richmond.com. Follow him on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. Mike, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Good to talk to you again. Uh, good to talk to you as well, Mike. Uh, let's start out general. What did you think of Florida State getting left out of the playoff? I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it just, it's such a bias of, and I'm not even talking about SEC bias, it's such a bias towards offense and towards quarterbacks, right? We, we hear it every year with the Heisman. It's always quarterbacks. And, um, you know, Florida State is a great football team. They're even better with Jordan Travis, no doubt. They're dynamic on offense and defense. But that's one of the five or six best defenses in the nation. Uh, Trey Benson, the running back, it just feels like that is a great team that was still going to be great. Certainly they were going to be different. I understand that, but um, it just bugs me when, when you're undefeated to get left out because if you look at Alabama, you say, hey, if you don't lose to Texas, you're in. That was in, in your control. You look at Texas, you say, hey, if you don't lose to Oklahoma, you're in. That was within your control. I'm not sure what was within Florida State's control here. And uh, you know, I, just, I think they earned it over the course of the season. Maybe they would have absolutely gotten blasted in the playoffs. 
Maybe they wouldn't have found answers, but I thought they looked okay when Tate Rodemaker was in. I think they would have found, you know, this game isn't this weekend, right? You've got a, almost a month to prepare. I think with Trey Benson, with the pieces they have, with that great defense, I think they could have reached the national championship game, and uh, I think it's—I just think it's ridiculous that they don't get the chance to try. So, how much are we going to hear them complain now about leaving and a grant of rights and trying to get out of the ACC? You think? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, certainly it is the fact that they're in the ACC, not the SEC, that kind of opened the door. And I think somebody was circulating a clip where you know the ESPN crew was kind of laying this groundwork you know three or four weeks ago before Travis was even hurt uh, of how Alabama could could get in but um, you know at the end of the day I, I don't know that it's going to change anything that the playoff expands next year you're going to have plenty of access as an ACC team I just think it was kind of an injustice for, for this year's team and you know you talk about student athlete welfare and all those things this group that they put together uh, they earned a chance to be in the playoffs and, and now they're not going to be there and certainly Financially, the ACC takes a hit. Um, that would have been a nice chunk of money for the ACC had they put a team in the college football playoffs. Obviously, it's still early, and I'm sure you talked to some of the players and maybe the coach. Um, how motivated do you think Tech will be for the military ball? Well, I, th- I think they'll be pretty motivated. You know, this was a big step for this program to get back into a bowl game. And, and I was talking to David Teal on our podcast about this. It's sort of um, unfair, but it's such an advantage to get into a bowl game when you're a, a developing program and you get all those extra weeks of practice, and it almost feels like the teams that don't make a bowl game, they need that practice more. <laughs> they need that development. But I think if you're Virginia Tech and you're 6-6, six and six and you're, I think the practices are big. Um, you know, certainly, you, you, I guess we've seen Daquan Wright already in the portal. You may see some more of that. But for the most part, I, I think this program – has guys that feel good about the direction it's going. I think they feel like achieving a bowl game is an accomplishment. Um, they have a tough matchup with a team that you know, very well could have been in a New Year's Six Bowl. So I think it's going to be I think it's going to be well um, motivated a well motivated group that you see up in Annapolis. Do you think they'll be well attended by the Hokies fans? I do. I, I, I've been saying this. All year, Tech fans have been awesome this year. Uh, that's not to say they're not normally, but I was really impressed. You know, coming off a bad year, getting off to a terrible start uh, at, at one and three. Um, you know, their fans showed up. They sold out five out of six games. Uh, you know, they dominated the crowd on the road at Virginia. I think you know, I think they're going to show out as well as you would expect a fan base to show out for the Military Bowl. It's it's not a huge game, but it's close by. Um, I think Tech fans have been fantastic all year, and I think they're going to show up in Annapolis. You mentioned the transfer portal. I'm looking on the on3.com website. I see only four Tech players, and it feels like none of the four are that large of a potential loss. Yeah, Daquan Wright you know, is a good player. But, yeah, I, th- I think right now what we're seeing at Virginia Tech is players that I think are, are bought in. Now, the thing with the portal is teams are going to look what's there, and, and maybe you'll have some back-channeling of, hey, you know, we could use this, we could use that. There was a lot of smoke. The, the big name at Tech was Monsoor Delane. Would they be able to keep him, uh, the very talented corner? And there's a lot of teams in the country in the market for a corner. Does somebody get in his ear or, or another player's ear with, with you know financial offers? But I think the vibe at Virginia Tech is that the players like what's happening and they're not looking to jump ship. It feels like the number one priority is to keep Kyron on campus, though. After this year, it feels like he's going to get the starting job next year, and they need to keep him there. Yeah, the quarterback thing is you just don't know what to make of it, right? Certainly, drones is if the guy at Tech, if they can keep him. We're hearing quarterbacks commanding $1 to $2 million. 
uh, you know, to change teams. Uh, it's, it's, it's wild, and, and it's, it's not what was intended. Um, again, you, you don't want to – I certainly am always on the side of athletes getting whatever they can get. This is a multimillion-dollar industry, and athletes for too long have not gotten a share of it. But um, the idea that every quarterback in the country could just throw his name in the portal to get cash – to go somewhere else, or that a school has to pay to retain a guy, um, that's tough. That's tough. And I, and I hope uh, for Brent Pry's sake, I hope for Tony Elliott's sake, um, you know, I hope for, like, for everybody that if you've got a quarterback who's playing well and who's in line to start, and certainly you're a Power 5 program, uh, that you can work things out to keep those guys because so much development, you know, every position, but so much development goes into the quarterback. So much of crafting your offense goes around who is your quarterback it's so disruptive to lose that guy. Um, I kind of hate to see that part of what's happening with the portal. Let's go over to Virginia. What's the biggest takeaway from this season? I mean, obviously no ball. Obviously, you know, there wasn't a ton of talent on this team. What's your biggest takeaway from UVA's year? Yeah, I thought they were disappointing defensively despite some pretty good pieces. Now they were ravaged by injuries on that side of the ball, no doubt. Uh, Losing Antonio Clary, losing Cam Butler. uh, Those are two huge pieces. Uh, other guys were in and out. Cam Robinson looked outstanding, the young linebacker. He seems very committed to this program. Um, you know, We've seen him and Anthony Calandria, the quarterback, when somebody puts their name in the portal from another school, they're in their mentions saying, come to UVA. So uh, that's a really good sign. I think there's really good young players. Uh, Dre Walker, the defensive back, Caleb Hardy, the safety. I, I was impressed with the young talent. You know, The, the problem here is, is you know, the best offensive player Malik Washington was a one-and-done guy from the portal and they go out and find pieces like that again I think Malachi Fields at wide receiver is ready to take a big step but I think he needs to be a one-two punch guy with somebody else can they go out and attract uh, some more players obviously they're involved right now with Chris Tyree the Richmond area running back Thomas Dale former Thomas Dale star uh, who's transferring from Notre Dame Chris Tyree could be a fit at either running back or receiver for UVA uh it, it, the portal makes it so unpredictable to know how the team that takes the field next year is going to compare to the team that left the field this year. If they don't get anybody else, is Colandria the starter uh, week one next season? I would think so. I mean, and certainly him and Musket are going to battle again in, in the spring, assuming Musket sticks it out. Um, it, it's going to be interesting, right? You, you kind of want to end spring as a coach and say, all right, well, we're still competing. But if you do that, you run the risk of one or both of those kids jumping ship. Calandria um, is really promising. I, I think you build around him. That seems like the way to go. Uh, unless, like you said, you get a guy who's uh, a one- or two-year rental that, that's a higher level from the portal. It just The portal just throws everything into flux, and you're just not sure what's going to happen. Uh, talking with Mike Barber of the Times-Dispatch. Follow, follow him on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. Let's switch things up to uh, basketball. The Hoos are 7-1. and one. They've got North Carolina Central tonight. They're going to win that game. Um, what have you learned about the Hoos so far eight games into the season? Yeah, they're, they're interesting. <laughs> um, they're really athletic. They're able to block shots and get steals. They're able to cover up for some mistakes defensively. If that's the plan all year, I don't love it. Uh, if they become great and sound in the pack line, and then they have the ability to block shots and make athletic steals, then it becomes a really daunting unit. But you know, at the end of the day, I think this is a very typical, in a good way, Tony Bennett team. When they're knocking down shots, they're almost impossible to beat because they hit a shot and then they get back into the pack line defense and you're operating five on five and they're just tough to score on. 
And if they're missing shots and you're running the floor and there's some broken defense, they're more like an average team. And certainly we've seen moments like last game out where Isaac McNeely looks like he's going to be a lights-out shooter. Jake Groves, the transfer from Oklahoma, looks like he can be a lights-out shooter. So they have some pieces there um, to do it. When the shots are falling, do I see this as an Elite Eight kind of team? Yeah, I do. When the shots are missing... Am I worried that this might be another first-round exit? Uh, we're a long way from March, so we'll, we'll we'll wait and hold judgment till then. It also feels like rebounding could be an issue. When your tallest player is a freshman, it feels like come February or March, when he starts running out of steam, that could be a, an issue as well. Yeah, here's the thing on the rebounding front. They're not going to be a good rebounding team. It's not going to change. Against Texas A&M, we saw the formula for success. They gave up – Texas A&M, I don't remember the number exactly. Texas A&M offensive rebounded almost 50% of its misses. It was either 46 or 48% of its misses. But Virginia didn't let them put the ball back up and score it. They made them kick the ball back out and work again, use the full shot clock, operate against the pack, and they held second-chance points down. That's going to be the formula. This team isn't going to become a good rebounding team. You know, Blake Buchanan is not all of a sudden going to be dominating the boards. Yeah, they can be a little more competitive. They crash with the guards. There's things they can do. But at the end of the day, they're going to give up offensive rebounds if they can force the ball back outside and give themselves a chance to defend 5v5. They're going to be a great team. And if they let teams offensive rebound and stick it right back, they're going to get beat. Tonight's the last game before the 11-day break. They've got North Carolina Central and then Northeastern Saturday the 16th. Let's go back over to Tech. Obviously 6-3, and three, but they've lost some of the games to the better opponents they've faced. What do we make of the Hokies so far? I'm really encouraged uh, by Lynn Kidd, his development. Uh, I mean, he's a double-double guy, and, and I thought he would be good. I don't know that I thought he would be this good. The things he's doing, I think he will maintain and be able to do through ACC play. That brings a whole new dimension to this team. At the end of the day, though, it's still going to be if Hunter Couture and Sean Padula are hitting shots, they're pretty good, and I don't know they can score enough without those guys knocking down shots. MJ Collins, certainly a really encouraging game against Louisville. They've got some pieces and some guys, but at the end of the day, Tech feels like it will go as Couture and Padula go. And it feels like this team needs a, I don't know, a Rodney Rice-type player to uh, help out offensively. (laughs) Yeah, this is where you feel for Mike Young. Um, you know, they put the team together right, right? It's kind of like Virginia when all those years after Trey Murphy left, you were like, man, why don't they have a Trey Murphy? It's like, well, nobody knew he was going to get the waiver and play. You know, this team with a Rodney Rice either coming off the bench or starting that kind of slashing, driving wing player, uh, maybe Collins gets there. But, um, yeah, it, like to what I said, it, it's, it's going to come down to Padula and Kador knocking down shots, it holding his own in the paint because they don't have that uh, Rice kind of guy. Before we let you go, Mike, what's your general early thoughts on the ACC as a whole? Obviously, North Carolina's off to a good start. Clemson's undefeated. Duke's got a couple of losses, but it feels like this may not be a bad season for the ACC. No, I think those teams are good. And Duke, yes, they've got the losses, but I still think Duke is an elite team this year. Carolina, what they did to Tennessee, I know they let Tennessee back into it, but to score that many points against Rick Barnes and Tennessee, I thought was really impressive. Um, but I think there's some depth in the ACC, right? Like, I think there are some uh, decent teams. I think Georgia Tech has been really surprising. Louisville, who we were going to absolutely leave buried, has been more competitive than people expected. So even at the bottom of the league, I think there's some strength there. And um, I think it could be a really good and fun year for ACC basketball. Make sure to check out his work on the Times Dispatch and uh, Richmond.com. Follow him on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. Mike, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for having me. All right, uh, that is uh, Mike Barber of the uh, Times-Dispatch. Uh, college basketball tonight, some interesting games. George Mason's taking on Tennessee at 630. Uh, Mason's a healthy underdog, 15.5 points in that game. Um, elsewhere in the state games, I'm looking here to see. Liberty's got Mississippi Valley State. They're a 30.5-point favorite. Virginia's a 24-point favorite over North Carolina Central. Um, some of the more intriguing games, you know, uh, obviously, we're still in the portion where you need to root for the ACC. Georgia Tech's playing Georgia tonight. That would be a solid win for the conference. Syracuse has Cornell. You don't want Syracuse losing to Cornell, and I'm not just saying that because I don't want them losing to Cornell. Uh, and, oh, yeah, uh, Carolina and Connecticut's tonight, 9 o'clock. Five-and-a-half-point favorites UConn is. Obviously, this will tell us a little bit about where North Carolina is in their progression. Uh, how will Armando Baycott do against uh, Klingon? Of uh, North Carol of uh, UConn, Donovan Klingon, uh, Carolina, uh, Connecticut's got some injuries, so we'll see who's available for them tonight. But this would be a nice win for the conference if uh, North Carolina can beat UConn. Uh, as I said, five and a half point favorites. You got Indiana, and Michigan in the Big Ten, uh, so that's what's going on uh, today. Tomorrow, the lines have already come out. VCU's a two point home underdog against Memphis. Huge game for the Rams. The at-large is already out, but this is a huge game, a spotlight game for the Rams. We'll see what they do, but they are an early two-point underdog. William Mary is a three-point home underdog to ODU tomorrow, and then Richmond is a one-point dog to Northern Iowa at 8 o'clock, which you'll hear that game here on 1061 ESPN. All that stuff's tomorrow. We'll talk about those games tomorrow on the show. Uh, let's take a time out. We'll do our final segment. Tell you what's up ahead. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. The NFL season is in full swing, and we don't want anyone to forget. We have NFL coverage every Sunday afternoon, as well as every Dallas Cowboys broadcast. Here on your home for sports in the River City, 1061 ESPN Richmond. How many years have you heard me? Welcome back. 1061 ESPN, Matt Joseph's here. Don't forget, holiday cheer and gear presented by the Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority is Monday, December 11th. Drop by new sports gear at the Henrico Sports and Events Center located near the former Virginia Center Commons area from 3 until 6. Uh, we want your new sporting equipment to benefit the Salvation Army Christmas Assistance Program. Basketballs, footballs, baseball gloves, lacrosse sticks, golf clubs, tennis rackets, whatever. You think a child would love to wake up to on Christmas morning? Um, basically, just bring it new. Uh, we will be out there. Bob and I will be out there from three until six. Me probably three six. Bob till like four thirty, five o'clock or so. Um, so certainly come on out and join us at uh, the Henrico Sports and Events Center. As I always say, if you ever wonder why or who what we look like, if you ever want to tell us we're right, mostly we prefer you tell us when we're right. Um, but when, if you disagree with something and you want to tell us, you can certainly do so. Just wait until during the break because we can't talk to you while we're on the air. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. Uh, Monday Night Football last night was a good one. Uh, a good one, to say the least. Uh, it was better even with the Manning cast team, which is what I was doing watching it last night, um, to see the, the, the Trevor Lawrence injury. And to see C.J. Beathard lead the team down the, to, to get the tie and to go into overtime. And then to see uh, Jake Browning go and do what he did. Um, it was a good, it was it was a rare, really good Monday night football game. Which I feel like this league 
has not had a lot of. And I'm telling you, if you have not watched the Manning cast, it is tremendous. Now, they don't necessarily... If you're a diehard fan and you need like to hear Aikman and Buck... Like, yeah, go listen to them. But if you're not a fan of either team, and even if you are, like I've watched Eagles games through the Manning cast. It's it's fine. Um, the guest last night, Tua, was very good. He had a great personality. Um, they had Kay Adams, who works for FanDuel, and they had Chad Ochocinco, who obviously was a tremendous wide receiver for the Bengals. So obviously he was rooting for them last night. But it, it was it's just, it provides so much X's and O stuff that... And personality. I hate to admit it. Eli Manning has a pretty good personality. Eli Manning is somebody that doesn't just look like a dopey, you know, person. He actually is pretty intelligent and he's good and Peyton's good. So next week they're gonna do two Monday night games at the same time, one on ABC, one on ESPN. The Manning cast is gonna cover both of them, which I think is rather interesting because at times they struggle to keep up with one. Now they're gonna have two. So, um, but they are back next week. If you've never watched it, check it out for five minutes. I think you'll enjoy it. Even if the guests, I mean, they've had some very fun guests. And they're better without the guests, but they don't seem to think that way. So, we'll see what happens. But good win last night for the Bengals. Bad win for the people who had Jacksonville in their survivor pool. There was some mass chaos in survivor pools. I had the Steelers. So, me and the Steelers are fighting. That was just dumb because I was going to take the Steelers on Thursday against the Patriots. I took them against the Cardinals. Obviously, they stunk, and now I'm out, and most of the pool was out. So I'm very angry at the Steelers. Uh, thanks to our guest today, Mike Barber, Time Dispatch. Um, tomorrow on the show, uh, I'm hoping we'll do a little VCU preview. I'm going to work on that as we uh, get re- ready for VCU in Memphis tomorrow. A huge game for the Rams. We'll talk about that. Some of the other stuff. We'll recap uh, tonight's college basketball. We'll also get into some NFL stuff as well on a Wednesday. Uh, thanks to Lewis for all his hard work. As usual, does a tremendous job. No Bob. He is on his way to Northern Iowa. He will be back on Thursday. I'll be back tomorrow, 3 to 4, here on 106.1 ESPN. Invigorating design.